This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Welcome to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We give voice to those who challenge a prevailing sentiment in global financial markets. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests were not compensated for their appearance, nor do they supply payment in order to appear. Individuals on this podcast may hold positions in the securities that are discussed. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. This podcast episode may have ads and the occasional announcement. To listen without ads or announcements and take advantage of a host of other benefits, consider becoming a premium subscriber. Visit the website contrarian.supercast.tech. That's T-E-C-H for more information. Now, here's your host, Mr. Nathaniel E. Baker. Anthony Todd of Aspect Capital, you're joining us from London in the UK, is that right? That is absolutely correct. Very, very good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, great to have you. And we are going to talk about trend following. And this is something that has, it's not a new investment strategy, but it is one that is timely in your view. But we should probably start off and talk about what trend following is and how it works. And you are in as good a position as anybody to discuss that for reasons that we'll get into later. But for now, Maybe just tell us a little bit about trend following and how it's used. I mean, the, the, the first point to make, um, Nathaniel, which is um, which is something you just alluded to, it's, it's not a new investment strategy at all. It might be unfamiliar to, you know, to many listeners, uh, but actually it's one of the longest established alternative investment sectors with a track record of generating performance independent of stock and bond markets going back to the 1970s. Um, some... Um, commentators will actually say even significantly before that. Now, in terms of trend following itself, it, it actually covers a range of different approaches. So it's always difficult to generalize. But I think there are some common features shared by many trend followers. If I can just highlight three of those. The, the first is that um, typically trend followers will follow a very disciplined, systematic approach. So a completely automated scientific approach with the aim of identifying trends or momentum in markets over periods ranging from a few days to maybe several months. Um, Medium-term trend followers, medium-term trend followers um, will typically be looking to try to identify trends or momentum over a period of say two to three months or longer. That would be be our definition. That would very much come time with Aspect's definition of medium-term trend following. The second element um, is that trend followers, again, typically are highly kind of diversified in terms of their approach. So we'll be trying to identify um, trends or momentum across multiple liquid markets spanning long-term bonds, short-term rates, 
currencies, stock indices, but also harder to access markets, markets such as energies, metals, agriculturals. And then the final element um, is the ability for trend followers to be able to kind of capture momentum in markets, whether markets are rising or falling. So whether we're seeing positive momentum, positive you know, trends in, in markets or declining markets. So you take all that together in aggregate, the fact that the, the, the approach is so broadly kind of diversified, it's not dependent just on stocks and bonds. Um, it's adaptive in terms of its approach. It follows the kind of trends and it's able to capitalize on, on rising markets as well as falling markets. It's actually no surprise that the returns are uncorrelated with stocks, uncorrelated with bonds, and uncorrelated with many other alternative investment styles. Hmm. And so the catalyst to, to buy or sell securities, I guess, is based on technical indicators, if I understand that correctly, or what kind yeah, of inputs I, goes I, into this? The, I mean, the inputs, the, the, the input for trend following will be price, will be the price itself. Um, mm -hmm. And so um, the, if, you know, if you like the hypothesis, the hypothesis behind trend following um, is that it's, Crowd behavior, it's crowd behavior that actually kind of drives kind of trends in, in, in markets. Um, different participants will react at different speeds to, you know, to new market information. And it's that cascading effect of different investors um, um, taking into account different information, different inputs over different kind of timeframes. It's that crowd behavior, it's that herd instinct, which we see so often by markets. Market participants are driven more by emotion rather than hard facts, hard scientific kind of data. And it's that in emotional response, it's that herd instinct that drives the trends. Mm -hmm. So the price action we actually can see today is just very slightly, it's a tiny effect, tiny edge in the markets will be slightly affected by what happened yesterday, by what happened last week, by what happened last month. And so the, the, the main indicator, the, the, the overwhelmingly the most important um, input into a trend following model is going to be price itself. Okay. And so when does one decide that something is a trend that is worth following? Like what kind of makes that, that cut off? Yeah. I mean, looking at our approach in, you know, in particular, we apply um, eight different, what we would call price filters. And when we can talk about a price filter, uh, what we're referring to is, is a statistical approach um, statistical analysis of price behavior, which will try to strip out the noise in the markets. So all markets are, have a huge amount of, kind of noise you know, in the price action. Um, so we apply, as I mentioned, eight different kind of price filters over eight different timeframes um, with the aim of actually kind of stripping out that noise and try to identify the underlying behavior, the underlying momentum in, in, in terms of the market. The, the fastest uh, price filter that we'll apply will be looking for momentum over a period of, say, one week or longer. Um, our slowest um, trend-following filter will be looking for kind of trends over a period of around six months or longer. In answer to your kind of question, so what, you know, what will actually depend on whether we're actually kind of taking, say, a long position or a short position, it's the weighted sum of the signals from those eight different price filters. Okay, got it. So, but fundamentally, or theoretically at least, you touched on it, the idea is not to obsess so much about uh, outside inputs and reversals, but to get on board when the market is clearly moving in one direction and then ride that, I'm assuming for just for a short term, right? Well, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the um, you know, actually for us in terms of medium term trend following, our, our largest program is, a, is, over, is predominantly a medium term trend following program. 
we're actually kind of trying to identify kind of trends over a period of two to three months or longer. Mm. Um, now, actually, we'll be holding our winning positions, our profitable positions, for longer than our short uh, than the losing positions. So, in essence, what we're doing is actually kind of running our profits. We cut our losses. Um, so actually, in terms of profitable positions, we'll be holding those typically for more than two to three months. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some interesting examples in the portfolio at the moment where we've actually held positions for well over a year. Oh, really? So, yeah. So, 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 you know, so when there's a sustained trend, a sustained you know, momentum in a particular market, we could be kind of holding positions for multiple months. Got it. Okay, that's interesting. Now, this all begs the question, and you touched on it at the top, the various markets that uh that this works with i'm assuming these are the more liquid the better what kind of uh yeah so what markets uh, have you do you trade do you focus on and more tellingly where do you see the opportunity right now yeah i mean actually in terms of the markets we trade the the, the markets we trade are the world's most liquid um you know, predominantly kind of futures markets kind of forward markets um spanning eight different sectors um, so I mentioned earlier stock indices, uh, long-term bonds, short-term rates, currencies, credit, energies, metals, agriculturals. The, you know, so in terms of our largest kind of portfolio, we, we, we trade over 180 you know, kind of different markets. Um, and again, you know, all those markets, all the markets we're actually kind of trading very much kind of focus on trying to actually kind of identify the, kind of those markets which are kind of highly kind of liquid. And again, it's one of the advantages, I think, of that you know, of trend-following kind of programs um, is that not only their ability to be able to kind of generate diversifying returns, but the fact that the programs themselves are highly liquid. Mm-hmm. The majority of our, of our programs, the majority of investments uh, from our institutional investors actually have daily liquidity. Sick of me yet? Become a premium subscriber and avoid all ads or interruptions. Other benefits as well. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. So in terms of uh, markets where you've been seeing opportunity, can you talk about that? No, I can highlight, happily kind of highlight some, you know, some kind of current opportunities, but I think it's also important to emphasize that you know, big, the trend following itself, the position we take in any individual market is path dependent. So in terms of the positions we actually kind of hold today, they will evolve over time, depending on the trend of the market. As, uh, we are trend followers. We're not trying to, if you like, predict a trend. We're not trying to get ahead of a trend we're actually kind of following the kind of trend in the market. Um, so in terms of the positions we're holding today, they may well be very different from the positions we will be holding in a, in a few weeks' time. Right. But, but just to kind of highlight a couple of um, the specific examples, you know, in the fixed income markets, in kind of long-term bonds, um, really, again, it should be no surprise to, to listeners, given the price action we've seen over the course of the last kind of few months, um, the overall in kind of fixed income, we're running a material kind of short position, um, to highlight a particular market, if you look at kind of ten-year, ten-year um, um, uh, U.S. bonds, uh, we're running a kind of short position there. That short position, we've been consistently short of, kind of U.S. bonds now for many, many, many months for for the majority of, kind of last year. Um, and again, I think it's one of the advantages of a trend-following approach. Our positions are, are very intuitive. If you look across all the markets we trade, in spite of the fact we're trading, I'd say close to kind of two hundred kind of different markets. The positions we take in each individual market are highly intuitive. If you take a completely different example, in highlighting one of the harder to access markets, which can provide valuable diversification, 
one of our more profitable positions actually so far this year um, has been a long position in the sugar market. Hmm. Now, you know, so agriculturals represent an important part of, you know, of what we do. They can provide very valuable diversification by comparison with kind of stock markets, bond markets, kind of currency markets. Um, typically, those you know, opportunities in the agricultural markets, they're very difficult for investors to, um, to secure access to. It represents an, a, a small but important part of the portfolio. And what we've actually kind of seen this year is there been supply um, disruptions, particularly coming out of the Indian kind of sugar market. Um, that's actually kind of driven markets substantially kind of higher you know, for, for the majority of, kind of this year. Um, so that's, that's been a, another significant component in terms of um, our, um, our performance so far this year. Very interesting. And these have, as you mentioned, been obviously very profitable trades. I know nothing about the sugar prices, but I know that bonds have come down quite a bit uh, you know, for several years now, well, or at least since the Fed started tightening. And But you have conviction and further upside for both of these right now? Well, um, we have, we, I mean, in terms of the size of position that we hold um, in, a, in the kind of fixed income markets, um, that is, you know, it's a you know, reasonably kind of high conviction position. But again, you know, that situation can turn very quickly. And a, a mm. good example would be the Silicon Valley banking crisis actually mm. come during the course of the middle of March. Um, so suddenly there was a very rapid kind of shift in terms of risk appetite you know, you know, in, the, you know, in the markets. We suddenly went from a, you know, to an environment where investors were highly risk averse, um, scaling back their positions in, in stock markets, flight for, you know, to safety into kind of fixed income markets. And very quickly across um, our fixed income holdings, as a result of the kind of combination of First of all, our faster price filters responding very quickly, but also that risk, um, if like that risk overlay I mentioned earlier, which is very sensitive to short-term um, 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 you know, kind of changes in, in risk in an individual market. In a number of, kind of our fixed income positions, we went from a very significant short position to flat. Mm. So that that can happen. That happened actually over the course of a few days. Now. Yeah. As the, the fallout from the Silicon Valley kind of bank, as market conditions ameliorated, we actually kind of started building a short position again. And, and that's my point about how a you know, kind of trend following kind of portfolio, it's adaptive, it's very agile, you know, it's responsive to price action. Um, and again, uh, you know, um, as I kind of highlighted during that, that crisis, that combination of our price filters and our volatility measures work together in tandem um, to exit a substantial part of our, our, our short fixed income position, but that's now actually been, um, uh, you know, our, our short position has actually kind of gradually kind of grown over the course of the last few weeks. It's grown. Do you, can you talk about what you would be looking for to um, reverse the trade again? Any kinds of, yep. yeah. Well, I mean, in, you know, in terms of, you know, what would you know cause us to, change um you know you know come change our position it is again those kind of two drivers you know one if we actually were to see you know a shift in kind of price action if we were to actually kind of see a significant rally you know in kind of fixed income markets um you know that of course would actually kind of lead to first of all our fastest filters then our medium filters then our slowest filters to shift position um, and then again kind of come back to that um you know uh, you know that uh, fast um, um, volatility, effectively volatility filter, where, which again would respond to any kind of sharp changes in the risk of an individual market. 
Yeah. I mean, you mentioned price action and bonds as we record this here on Tuesday, July 11th. In the U.S. bond market, at least, the last couple of days has, have seen a bit of a rally in bonds. Uh, you know, especially like you look at the two-year yield, it was 5% at the start of the oh. week. And now it's 4.89 as we record this. But not yep. that's it's not enough... Sl- no, I mean, there's, I mean, there's some very slightly kind of softer data that's actually kind of come out over the course of the last 24 hours. You know, you're absolutely right. Um, a move like that over a small number of days will have picked that up in terms of um, our measures of risk. Um, so that will probably have led to a kind of slight kind of decrease in our position. Um, the fact that that moves actually happened over a few days, that would have affected our very fastest um, no kind of price filter as well, but that's just one out of yeah. eight filters. So, sure. so it might have actually just, you know, you know, kind of faded our position very slightly. It won't have been sufficient to have turned the position around. Sure, you know, it's an interesting philosophical uh, discussion here around investing, and and obviously the topic of this podcast is contrarian investing, which has a bit of a different approach than what you're doing. The contrarian approach is to see something that is. Is to basically take the opposite direction from markets, um, and you run with the market, which, yeah, is kind of like a, the anathema to contrarian investing. But then, from that perspective, maybe that is contrarian. So, but um, but do you, do, you, but you do find that the obviously you've been doing this for a long time. You you find that the signal is powerful. The the price action is powerful enough to take advantage of. I think. I mean, I, th- I think it's a, it's a really interesting area to come discuss because you're right that actually you know our approach is very much to go with the momentum to go with the investor flows to go with the contrarian of markets um so you could see us as being far from contrarian but i think what's what you know what's um you know interesting here is actually um although we go with the momentum the returns we generate are contrarian are deeply contrarian um so um if you look you know come back in history um, you know, I mentioned over the very long term, you know, trend following has this long term track record of generating performance, which is uncorrelated with stocks, it's uncorrelated with bonds. But it's also been able to kind of generate very strong positive returns during protracted market crises. So if you look at periods such as 2000, 2003, the, um, uh, you know, the end of the kind of technology kind of bubble, if you look at the global financial crisis in 2008, um, you look at the inflationary crisis we actually saw last year. So when we see those kind of protracted kind of crises, you know, significant kind of multi-month declines in kind of stock markets, um, potentially kind of rallies in kind of, you know, kind of fixed income markets, not last year, um, you know, um, rises in, you know, in, you know, in, you know, in commodity markets. Um, those you know, multi-month kind of trends provide significant opportunities for a kind of trend-following approach. So trend following was able to generate significant positive returns during that whole period 2000 to 2003, and again during the course of 2008. Hmm. So I would say our return stream is is very much you know non-contrarian. You know, it's um, over the long term the correlation with stocks and bonds is zero, hmm. but it has this unusual property of being able to actually kind of generate strong positive returns you know, in periods of protracted declines in stocks or bonds. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. Anthony Todd of Aspect Capital, I want to take a short break and come back and ask you some more questions about your career and some other things. But we'll first take a quick break 
Uh, if you are a, a premium subscriber, you do not get the break. Do not touch the dial. We'll be right back. In fact, we already are. And to become a premium subscriber, you can visit the website contrarian contrarianpod.substack.com and sign up. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Contrarian Investor Podcast, where we give voice to those who challenge a prevailing narrative in global financial markets. Consider becoming a premium subscriber. For $9 a month or less, premium subscribers receive a number of benefits. Podcasts are posted immediately after they're recorded. Transcripts are made available within 24 hours. Premium subscribers get direct access to the host. And of course, there are no ads or interruptions. Visit contrarian.supercast.tech for more information. By the way, you don't need the .tech suffix to get to that website. .com will do the trick. And we also have a Substack that you can where you can sign up for the same prices, same benefits, same details, contrarianpod.substack.com. So if you already have a Substack account and use it or have the app and use that, that's probably the best way to go. So contrarian.supercast.com or contrarianpod.substack.com. Whole bunch of benefits, including, of course, getting this episode up to a week early without ads or annoying announcements. And you also get the Daily Contrarian briefing and podcast that is released every market day morning at 7 a.m. This is a contrarian take on the events of the day ahead and what is likely to move markets, such as economic data releases, earnings, and other things. It is really good, and that is completely unbiased, of course. So check that out, contrarianpod.substack.com or contrarian.supercast.tech. Now on with the show. All right, welcome back, everybody. Here with Anthony Todd of Aspect Capital. Anthony, this is the segment of the show where we ask our guests to tell us about themselves professionally and, and how they came to investing in the first place, how they came to their current station in their career. And I mentioned at the top, you've had quite a pretty long and illustrious career already. So uh, take us back and, and tell us about, yeah, your origin story, if you will, and uh, <laughs> anything else to take us up to the present day. Yeah, I mean, you know, happily, Nathaniel. Um, so I mean, actually, the you know the background and the and the the long kind of back history in some way, how I kind of ended um, end up co-founding co Aspect back in nineteen ninety seven um, was I was very you know, lucky enough to have read physics at university um, with Michael Adam and with Marty Lewick. Um, and now Michael Adam and Marty Lewick went straight out of university, left university and immediately actually went into uh, Michael Adams' you know, father's business. Um, and Michael Adams' father, actually, during the 1970s, um, had been running, you know, by hand, a, you know, a series of medium-term trend-following models on liquid kind of commodity markets. So I mentioned right at the very start of this kind of podcast um, how the medium-term trend-following sector um, has, has a track record going back to the 1970s. There are still a number of managers around today who can you know, point their origins in the 1970s. Michael Adams' father, um, uh, you know, again, was one of the very early kind of pioneers of this kind of trend-following approach. Mike Adam and Marty Lewick um, left university, joined Michael Adams' father's firm, 
um, and took that approach, you know, built a remarkable kind of piece of, um, um, uh, you know, of, kind of technology to enable them to automate the, the trading systems, to enable them to actually research you know, other kind of trading models, to expand the range of models, to expand the range of, of markets, expand the range of, kind of trading frequencies. And that business was the origins of the AHL business, which of course is one of the most successful kind of quant managers today. Um, meanwhile, so that, that was the, the, the kind of common link, um, physics with, you know, with Mike Adam and Marty Lewick. I left uni and went into the kind of fixed income markets, um, joined um, a stockbroking company called Phillips and Drew that was then you know, taken over by UBS. Um, and in my time at, you know, at UBS, you know, I became absolutely kind of fascinated by the potential for applying a systematic scientific approach to trading the markets. You now I was surrounded by a whole range of, of traders you know, at, at UBS, and it was clear that the most successful traders over the long term were those who actually ran a highly scientific, highly disciplined approach, not necessarily automated, but a very kind of rigorous approach in terms of the strategy they're applying um, and the risk management you know, kind of techniques um, that, you know, that they implemented. Um, so I was very kind of fortunate that, you know, as I said, meanwhile, you know, Mike, Mike Marcy, and then, of course, kind of joined by David Harding in 1987, um, they'd, they'd built a highly kind of successful business by that stage. And in 1992, um, I was fortunate enough to be able to actually kind of join AHL. Um, you know, at that point, AHL had around 20 people, you know, in the firm, around 200 million under management. Um, and I worked there, um, absolutely kind of loved working at AHL, you know, from 1992 to 1997, and then spun out with Marty Lewick and with Eugene Lambert, who was head of trading system development at AHL um, and co-founded Aspect. And at no point did, and did you um, think that maybe this is this isn't the correct way of of, of uh, the most profitable way of, of trading? That there was other things that you should consider. Uh, um, yeah, did you ever lose your faith at any point? In over the course of the last twenty five years, mm. no, not no, not not at all. I mean, absolutely not at all. I mean, you know, I think you know, looking over the course of the last kind of twenty five years. Um, you know, and again, we can actually kind of back test, you know, our models. It's one of the advantages of a systematic approach that we're able to come take our approach and, and apply it over the last 30 years, 40 years, kind of 50 years of data. Um, and so we can actually kind of see that over a wide range of kind of different market environments, I mean, people are looking at the moment about whether we're going to be, whether we're going to experience over the coming months and years, are we going to see a soft landing, a hard landing or no landing in terms of the global economy? You know, we can actually take our approach um, and back test it over a range of different market environments. And I think it's one of the great advantages of that trend following approach. It's highly kind of robust um, over a broad range of, kind of different market environments. And that I think has helped very much helped our conviction in the durability of, of, you know, of this strategy. Now it does go through um, as with you know, any investment you know, approach, it can go through challenging periods. And so for medium term trend following, times when markets are range bound, um, that's a challenging market environment because our trend following models, those eight filters I mentioned, are constantly hunting for trends which just don't materialize. Um, the other kind of difficult you know, market environment is when there are very sharp inflection points against the prevailing trend. A, a good example of that is what we saw earlier in March you know, this year. Um, so yes, so, so over the 25 years that um, 
um, that we've been running kind of trend following kind of programs at, you know, at, you know, at Aspect. We've certainly seen some kind of challenging years. We've seen some kind of challenging periods. Um, but overall, I mean, our approach has been very much one of retain that disciplined approach, avoid style drift, avoid style drift at all costs, Re, you know, remain disciplined, remain kind of scientific, um, continue to invest in research, continue to refine the models, uh, but stay true to the, the, the original premise. And I think it's something we've seen, Nathaniel, over the course, I mean, particularly kind of during the course of the last kind of decade, where during the kind of period 2009 through 2019, it was there were a number of actually kind of quite challenging you know, you know, uh, years during that period. And we know that a number of our competitors um, did actually exhibit style drift. They, they shifted away from that medium-term trend-following approach. Um, and you know, it was our conviction, our conviction in the durability of the strategy that meant we just retained that very consistent approach. We continue to innovate. We continue to refine our models. We continue to add new models. Um, but at the same time, we retained that style consistency. Hmm. Uh, perfect lead into the next question, which is your thoughts on AI. And uh, you, mess, you, you mentioned a systematic approach. Have you used uh, or made use of any AI or AI type of tools yet? Do you see any promise in that as it affects your investing approach? Yeah, I mean, we, we see, so, um, you know, in terms of um, AI or AI related approach, we have a material investment in, uh, in machine learning. Uh, we have a kind of team that's been uh, building, developing, running um, the machine learning models uh, for, you know, for a number of years now. Um, they have generated very interesting, very attractive, diversifying returns from computer trend following. Um, so, you know, we see, you know, you know AI and AI related you know, approaches as providing, you know, potentially a very strong, very, um, you know, interesting diversifying area of research for us. Um, but, you know, again, we, we look at the area as being as unlocking significant opportunities for us, but we can also kind of see that we, you know, we have to kind of handle the area, you know, with care. You know, I mentioned earlier, you know, Nathaniel, that I think one of the great advantages of a trend following approach is the positions we take in you know across every market are completely intuitive and it's that intuition or it's that intuitive approach and that level of transparency which investors get which i think is of great appeal um, and that's why in terms of the application of ai type techniques um, i think it's very very important that again any research we do is hypothesis led it's important to actually have a hypothesis about what is the market effect we're actually going to try to capitalize on? That's very different from just throwing a huge amount of data um, you know, at a set of, kind of AI models and trusting the result. You know, for us, it's very important that everything we do, everything we do in research is totally kind of hypothesis-led. Um, so um, you know, we can actually kind of understand still with our machine learning models why we're actually kind of taking any position we are in any of the markets we're trading. Mm-hmm. So we you know, so absolutely we're very very excited, very kind of positive about you know those kind of techniques. We use them extensively. Cool. Are there any areas of the market that you think AI uh, that trend following doesn't work? Obviously, the more liquid liquid ones, I think, are, are would be non-starters for obvious reasons. Anything else? Yeah, I mean, where markets are are not able to actually um, you know, you know, kind of freely move. So if there are constraints you know, you know, in markets where there is 
strong kind of central bank, you know, intervention in the market, um, you know, that actually limits the ability for crowd behavior to actually kind of drive underlying trends. So that can be an issue for us. Liquidity you mentioned earlier, that, that to us is, you know, is again a kind of key concern. There can be markets which are, um, you know, which, are, you know, if you like fringe markets, um, you, know, in, you, know, um, you know, markets which have actually kind of just been launched, which might exhibit very interesting kind of trends, um, but you know, where there is, you know, where the liquidity is either kind of episodic, it's unreliable, or it's just insufficient. Um, so those are kind of two areas that where we'd actually kind of see that we actually have to kind of tread very carefully. Well, our focus is on deep liquid markets, and always our kind of focus is on markets which are, if you like, freely floating. Mm -hmm. You know, one area that, that you haven't talked about, which I, which you may not um, even follow very closely, but you would think that it does kind of tick all the boxes, is uh, uh, cryptos, specifically maybe the more liquid ones like Bitcoin and Ether. Have you looked at that at all or, or not so much? Oh, we do. Actually, in one of our programs, um, we trade Bitcoin and, and Ether futures, not the underlying kind of cash oh, wow. markets. Um, so, you know, again, consistent with what I was just, just mentioning, you know, we waited what we thought was a you know, realistic amount of time to actually kind of see the markets mature somewhat to actually kind of see that there was sufficient kind of liquidity there. Um, we wanted to actually kind of trade the futures markets as opposed to the underlying cash markets. So it's important for us that the futures markets you know, did open up and there was sufficient liquidity there. Um, so yes, so those are kind of two markets that, that we do trade. We have relatively small you know, exposure to them, um, but they do represent um, you know, a part of our alternative markets program. Mm -hmm. And anything you're picking up there in terms of momentum right now? Uh, in those markets, so both those markets, we are long. Um, again, uh, you know, unsurprisingly, it's going to given the run up, mm -hmm. you, know, in, you know, in price over the course, well, since the beginning of the year. Um, so, you know, we have, uh, you know, you know um, long positions in both those markets, but of course, the level of volatility in both those markets is significant. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're also just aware, although there is reasonable liquidity there, um, the size of positions, the risk um, allocation we can take to the markets is cautious, mm -hmm. is relatively contained you know, because of potential liquidity constraints. The volatility is high. So in terms of the net position we're actually taking the markets, it, it's relatively contained. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. All right, Anthony Todd, this has been a really interesting conversation. In closing, maybe uh, if you can tell our listeners how to find out more about you, um, be it websites or social media or anything like that, I'll also include those in the show notes so people can click yep. on them. Yep. I mean, in terms of our website, um, at www.aspectcapital.com. Um, and then you'll also can find us um, on LinkedIn, um, you know, as well. So um, both, both of those, we try to kind of keep investors very much, you know, um, very much, um, you know, up to date with kind of progress in the company, developments in the, you know, in the company. So um, please do take a look. Cool. Not Twitter though, huh? <laughs> we're not we're not on twitter we're not on twitter something okay. we've, we've thought about but um yeah uh, probably you know, smart yeah. probably smart okay wonderful <laughs> great wonderful conversation uh anthony thank you so much for coming on to the contrarian investor podcast today and share your insights with us we hope you all enjoyed it uh i certainly did and with that we look forward to speaking to you all again next time see you then bye 
Thank you for listening to the Contrarian Investor Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To subscribe to this podcast, simply open your favorite podcast software and search for Contrarian Investor. Follow us on social media by searching for Contrarian Investor on Twitter and Instagram. Send us your thoughts on feedback at contrarianpod.com. We look forward to speaking to you again next time. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.